0: All they
1: say is West best
2: You're listening to Hometown, a podcast by Episcopal Migration Ministries The refugee resettlement and migration ministry of the Episcopal Church Here on Hometown, we seek to build a community of welcome by sharing interviews, stories, and actions that you can take to advocate for our newest neighbors. Thank you for being with us Hi, I'm Stephanie Whitehouse, the program assistant for EMM's new Neighbor to Neighbor program. Today's episode features a recording from the Thursday, January 20th webinar hosted by EMM called Welcoming Afghans, EMM's Neighbor to Neighbor program. In this webinar, we are joined with Father Chris McNabb, program manager of our new Neighbor to Neighbor program, along with Beth Frank. Program Director of the Community Sponsorship Hub's Sponsor Circle Program for Afghans, and Brian Dick, National Migration and Resettlement Program Director for the Mennonite Central Committee Canada, all to discuss this monumental joining of efforts to create communities of welcome through sponsorship for our newest Afghan neighbors and to introduce EMM's new Neighbor-to-Neighbor Initiative. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's show. Thank you so much for joining us today's webinar, Welcoming Afghans EMMs Neighbor to Neighbor Program. We're so glad that you've joined us. All of your lines are muted for today's presentation. A recording of today's webinar will be available online on Episcopal Migration Ministries Vimeo channel and it will also be included in the follow-up email. Please submit any questions for our panelists in the Q&A pane and we will field your questions after the panel discussion. If you need to access closed captioning for today's webinar, please select the CC icon on your Zoom window. I will now turn it over to the Reverend Chris McNabb to offer our opening prayer.
3: Beloved, let us pray. God of compassionate love, We give you thanks for this day, for the technology that allows us to gather across time zones and across nations. We pray you send your Holy Spirit upon us. Open our ears and our hearts to listen to where you are leading us as we work towards welcoming our newest neighbors. Be with all of those Afghans who have been relocated, the sponsor circles that have done the hard work, the community sponsorship hub and the umbrellas. Be with each one of us, those Afghans still at safe havens on military bases in the entire country of Afghanistan. Despite the overwhelming challenges, we know that you are close to those who suffer. Be close to all of us in this time, that out of great challenge, joy, love, peace, and hope may shine through. In your holy name we pray. Amen.
4: Amen. Thanks, Chris. My name is Allison Duval. I serve as EMM's Senior Manager for Church Relations and Engagement, and I'm so happy to be here today with such wonderful panelists and to serve as the moderator for today's conversation. So, thank you all who are tuning in to listen and to learn. We're glad that you're here. So, first I'll introduce our colleague Brian Dick. Brian has been the National Migration and Resettlement Program Coordinator at the Mennonite Central Committee in Canada since February 2015. One of his main jobs there is managing MCC's sponsorship agreement with the Canadian government for refugee resettlement. In addition, he also co-chairs MCC's Migration Standing Committee that looks at the organization's global program related to migration and how communication and collaboration can be realized in the organization on migration issues. He's also a consultant with the University of Ottawa's Refugee Hub and serves on the executive committee of the Canadian Association for Refugee and Forced Migration Studies. Thanks so much for being here, Brian. Next, I'm happy to introduce Beth Frank. Beth is the program director for the Sponsor Circle Program for Afghans. She brings nearly 20 years of experience in global and domestic migration, including refugee resettlement, processing, community development, and emergency response. In 2002, while in the Peace Corps in Armenia, she saw firsthand the important role and impacts of migration on the communities and families, particularly those with histories of domestic crisis and natural disaster. Since then, she has led program and evaluation efforts for refugees living in Cairo, Egypt, migrant populations in the U.S. affected by natural disaster or public health crises, and our furry refugees in Chad. Elizabeth earned her Master of Science in Migration, Mobility and Development from the University of London School of Oriental and African Studies. Thanks Beth for being here. And our third panelist is the Reverend Chris McNabb, who is the Program Manager for EMM's Neighbor to Neighbor Program, where he works to connect newly arriving Afghans and asylum seekers with faith communities who will serve as their community sponsors. Chris is also the missioner for Contemplative Ministries at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Seattle, Washington. When not working, he enjoys hiking, camping, and hanging out with his black lab named Lucky. Thanks, Chris, for being here. So to get our conversation started, I'm gonna ask the first question to Chris. Um, Chris, can you tell us what is Neighbor to Neighbor and a little bit more about Episcopal Migration Ministries as well?
3: So thank you for the opportunity and thank you for everyone who's joined us. Neighbor to Neighbor is a program of Episcopal Migration Ministries that connects asylum seekers and newly arriving Afghans to faith communities who will serve as community sponsors. Track one works with asylum seekers, while track two works in partnership with the Community Sponsorship Hub in working to welcome newly arriving Afghans. Historically, Episcopal Migration Ministries or EMM has stepped into the breach when people have been forced to flee. In fact, our work began in the 1930s and 40s, welcoming Europeans fleeing Nazi persecution. Fast forward to the 1980s, when the United States State Department entered into a formal partnership with EMM to begin resettling refugees. And throughout that time up until now, EMM has looked to find opportunities to connect the people in the pews to newly arriving folks. Many congregations have done this important work of welcoming asylum seekers. And now with the newly formed Neighbor to Neighbor Tracks one and two, even more people of faith and goodwill are invited into this work of community sponsorship. This moment in time allows us to return to our roots by welcoming Afghans. And we are so excited for the opportunity for the Neighbor to Neighbor Program to respond to this unique and unfolding situation.
4: Thanks, Chris. This has been a really exciting time for EMM as we've been building relationships across the resettlement space and so excited to have Beth here because Beth is the program director for the Sponsor Circle Program for Afghans within the Community Sponsorship Hub. So Beth, I'd love to ask you to tell us a little bit about the Sponsor Circle Program.
1: Thanks, Allison, and um, thanks everyone for joining today. I'm really excited to be on here with everyone and be able to share about this program um, and this this new opportunity. Um, So this is an exciting opportunity for this moment in time as Chris Chris talked about, Um, and it really is an opportunity to respond to the current crisis. Um, we are working both in communities and at and in safe havens through this program. And as we're talking with Afghans on safe havens, we're hearing how they've been so through so much already, and they're anxious to leave the safe havens and move into communities where they can start their lives over um, in this new country. And so there's an urgent need to have a soft landing for as many families as possible. And the sponsor, sponsor circles provide a new way for communities to be able to do that directly. So the sponsor circle program for Afghans is an emergency response initiative that expands the capacity Capacity of those welcoming and resettling newcomers into communities. It's a new way for faith communities and community members to be directly involved while also pulling from the historical support um, and commu- that communities have offered newcomers in different ways in past decades, again, as Chris mentioned. So this is continuing a tradition of welcoming the stranger. Some of us have been involved with welcoming, or some of you some of you on this call may be uh, involved with welcoming refugees and other newcomers through EMM in past years or even in recent times in other ways. So this also builds from the experience of communities and organizations supporting families as they move into their new homes and communities. But this, you know, this program, this opportunity does that by deeply engaging community members and faith communities more directly in this process. So sponsor circles are leading this process with individual families. Um, and they really have that, that key role, um, which is unique in many ways from some of the other um, ways, that, um, ways that that individuals or communities have been able to, um, to uh, support newcomers. So specific for this program, what is it? Um, This is where groups of five or more individuals come together to form a sponsor circle. They develop a welcome plan to welcome and support families for a minimum of 90 days. The welcome plan is where your group will lay out the specific supports and steps for the new family in your community. Um, And as part of that process, the sponsor circle program and EMM as well have supports that can help in this process. So the first step is to fill out an interest form on EMM's website. Um, You'll be able to connect with Chris or someone else at EMM um, that can give you some initial information um, and help orient you to, to this work and what's involved. You can also go to the Sponsor Circle's website for more information on on how to apply, supports available for interested groups, and the application portal itself. Um, And I can talk about that in more detail as this conversation today um, develops. But I just wanna say, you know, we have been really amazed and heartened by the community response to Afghan families. Um, We've already seen in this program, sponsor circles welcome an initial family and come back to us and say that they want to sponsor additional families. I think that really speaks to, you know, how rewarding um, this can be. And also, you know, how sponsor circles are really seeing that need. um, And when they are partnering, with families as they are moving into communities, they're really recognizing that this is this is an urgent need and this is a way to respond directly. Um, so this effort, this, you know, this work, it, it, it takes effort to do this, um, but the connection with families that sponsor circles develop is often one that will last beyond the those first 90 days of that initial connection. Um, so I'll leave it there and hand it back to you.
4: Thanks, Beth. I know that we're going to get into a lot more conversation later. So this is a great way for us to kind of lay the ground so that people can ask questions of you all as well. So I'm excited to ask the next question to you, Brian, because we know that our neighbors to the north, our Canadian friends, have been engaged in something similar for quite some time. So hoping you can share with the listeners today a little bit about the Canadian experience of resettlement and how your organization has participated in that.
0: Thanks for that question and and I'm really excited to be here because I've had a chance to talk to uh, faith groups uh, globally, but also others working at sponsorship models and I'm just really excited to uh, talk with people in the US about what that could look like. As Chris was talking, it seems like there are a lot of parallels between the United States and Canada in terms of refugee resettlement from the post-World War II time to the present. Um, But there's some divergences. Um, Refugee resettlement was happening after World War II in Canada, and faith groups were really involved in that, uh, both in the U.S. and Canada. But it really took off, and it was really a moment, both in the U.S. and Canada in 1979 and 1980, when people were seeing images of Um, Southeast Asians fleeing boats, fleeing in boats. And that was a time in Canada where we had, um, within uh, the legislation, uh, immigration legislation, an opportunity for a sponsorship program. Uh, It was clearly defined, something was in the place before that, but but it was more clearly defined at that moment. And at that moment, people in Canada were saying, we need to do more. And this gave them an opportunity to do more. Um, so a sponsorship program, what we call private sponsorship of refugees program, was developed in 1979. And my organization, Mennonite Central Committee, was first, the first organization. We signed an agreement in March of 1979 to work with the government to facilitate sponsorship. And by the end of the year, by the end of 1979, there were 40 groups that were involved in that. Mostly, in in fact, all of them in that first year were faith groups, uh, Jewish and Christian groups. And at the end of that year, there were about 7,000 sponsoring groups across Canada who were involved in that. In that year, in those two years, uh, about half of the refugees, a little more than half of the refugees that came to Canada were through this sponsorship program. And over the years since then, there's been kind of this interplay between the two uh, systems, between the government system and the the privately sponsored refugee system. And I'm just putting a a graphic up here I usually use in presentations to give you a sense of how that works together. Um, Much of the time, the blue line uh, government-assisted refugees is what the government does, what similar EMM and other agencies in, in the U.S. would do. Uh, the red one is privately sponsored refugees, and then the green, which is a newer program, is is a blended program, uh, which is much smaller but but significant, I think. So you can see that there there has been uh, this interplay over the years, um, and about 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 380,000 uh, people have been coming to Canada through this sponsorship program since. 1979, and slightly more than that, about 410,000 were through the government stream. So you can see the two work together quite a bit. Um, in, in that time, um, we've had uh, a lot of other groups getting uh, joining us, and, and so right now there are 130 Groups uh, called we call them sponsorship agreement holders, similar to what uh, the umbrella organizations that you would have uh, that are being established, uh, like EMM in the United States. Uh, Our program is a little different. Our the way it's defined is a little different. Uh, Our commitment is for 12 months, which mirrors what a government-assisted refugee would get. Um, The commitment is for financial support for that 12 months. Unless the the newcomers uh, are able to support themselves through their work or other other means, um, and it, it's a, a way to uh, to help welcome people into the community, um, a, a lot of the other commitments are the same. There's a couple of things I think that I would add that are really important that we we have, and I think it's it's really important that we have this partnership between the government and private sponsors. This is a program that doesn't really work unless we are working together with the government. And that's both the strength and the weakness of this program. But I think it's a really important addition to uh, refugee resettlement in Canada.
4: It's exciting. I know that the resettlement field in the United States has been learning so much. From the Canadian experience. So before I ask you the next question, Chris, just for our, our audience, who many of whom have been in touch with EMM for time, watched our webinars, you've kind of been um, involved in our work. I wanted to mention how, again, how exciting and new this is because rewind the clock a year ago, the only way for community members to have participated in welcoming refugees who were coming to this country would be in partnership with the local office of a national resettlement agency, which EMM is, we are a resettlement agency that has a contract with the State Department to do that work. But this is a beautiful moment, as Chris said, it's kind of the Episcopal Church returning to our roots, providing more opportunities for faith communities. Literally, or virtually wherever they may be to participate directly with EMM and welcoming newcomers to their communities. So Chris, to tee it up for you, I wanted to ask if you could explain a bit about how faith communities can get involved in this work.
3: Absolutely. So thank you for that, that connecting piece and also to Brian and Beth for your comments. It's interesting that private sponsorship began in Canada in 1979, the same year that our current Book of Common Prayer was approved. And how appropriate because we are called as Episcopalians to gather for communal and personal prayer. And from there, we're called to go forth in service to our world. So mindful of that, we are inviting faith communities to fill out an initial interest form on our EMM website to discuss with me the possibility of becoming a track two congregation. So mindful of the need to help relocate Afghans from the safe haven military bases into the community, We've offered this particular webinar to invite folks into that work of community sponsorship through Track Two. Through this, you'll do the important work of finding housing, medical care, legal support, enrolling the children in school, finding a local ESL course, and other similar activities to help integrate the newly arriving Afghans into, into your local community. It's a big lift. So throughout the whole process, I'll be there as your chaplain, both as your cheerleader and your problem solver, helping figure things out, And we have the the sponsor circles, we have Community Sponsorship Hub backing us up the whole way. So as questions come up, Beth and I are in constant email communication about, hey, this thing came up, hey, how do we solve this problem? So know that you're not gonna be doing this work alone, um, but it is a significant invitation. And so we are with you throughout the entire process. Thanks.
4: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, And I'm gonna ask the next question to you, Beth, about how would like people who are listening today are probably getting excited and thinking about, okay, so what do I do now? What are the steps to form a sponsor circle and what are those requirements from Community Sponsorship Hub before somebody can become a a group can become a circle?
1: Yeah, thanks Allison. So first to say, excuse me, no matter where you are, you can become a, a sponsor circle. So the first, you can welcome a newcomer into your community. Um, And really this is about providing that practical support um, as Chris mentioned um, around a number of different areas. So the first, there's a, a handful of requirements that are part of this, or steps that are part of this process. So the first is to gather at least five individuals to form a sponsor circle. Um, and these are five adults. They, you can have people from, a couple people from within the same family. So, you know, that's fine. And really thinking about um, anyone can, can join the sponsor circle. Um, but five, at least five adults are coming together to form that sponsor circle. Um, And then, there are a few steps as part of this. One is to review an online course and complete the online course that lays out in more detail this process, expectations of the program, expectations for sponsor circles, and also what sponsor circles can expect from this. Um, It lays out some of the the potential challenges, but also the rewards that are part of this. And as part of this, uh, we strongly encourage that everyone in the sponsor circle completes that course Um, at least one person needs to complete it and, and complete a knowledge check at the end of that. Um, that has yeah, um, and then another aspect of this is completing background checks. And so each person that is in the sponsor circle will need to complete background checks. And this um, there's a link to uh, to that to do that on the sponsor circle website, um, and that also is part of this process. Um, A third aspect of this is raising funds to support families, Um, and so the sponsor circle is um, dedicating time um, and also resources to welcoming new families. And so for this program specifically, um, it is raising $2,275 per family member. Um, And so we realize that can be a significant amount. Um, And again, there are some strategies and supports that EMM um, or the Sponsor Circle Program can offer to help Sponsor Circles think about how they might raise those funds. Um, and it, that is the same amount that families, that individuals, individual Afghans would receive if they were going through the the traditional resettlement route. So in this case, the sponsor circles are raising that. The difference is that the, for, in this case, all of that funding um, and support goes directly to the family. Um, if going through resettlement agencies, part of that goes to the resettlement agencies because they need it for staffing and things like that. So this is. You know, it's it's a significant um, resource that the sponsor circles are providing, but there's a real benefit to families uh, through that. Um, and then, the last part is developing a tailored welcome plan for the Afghan new, newcomer family. Um, and so, this plan really lays out concretely. Um, around the multiple aspects. Chris mentioned several of them. So housing, education, language supports, um, accessing benefits for the family really lays out um, how will the sponsor circle support this process? What are some of the resources that they have found in their community that can help with this process? Um, Where are uh, English language classes um, or or other supports such as that? Um, So the the tailored Welcome plan um, is the is a is a key piece that the sponsor circle will submit, and then the sponsor circle will submit this via the sponsor circle's website. Um, and there's an application portal uh, to do that. Um, I also wanted to mention that there are. Um, several supports available, or a few key supports, I should say. Um, Through the Sponsor Circle program, there are weekly application support sessions. Um, Those are also available on the Sponsor Circle's website. Um, And we might be able to chat those out to people now too. Um, And those are held every Monday evening and every Friday afternoon. Um, And so those are a time where our partner, Iris, who has done a lot of this work concretely um, in their area, um, they provide some additional information and supports to people that are thinking about forming or actively forming sponsor circles. They can ask answer questions about the process, give an overview of that process, um, and, and like I said, they're they're holding those weekly. Um, Another support is EMM. Um, And so both leading up to it, um, as mentioned, EMM can provide some of that orientation and framing about what the program is about. And then once a sponsor circle has completed the application and submitted the application and welcome plan, and then EMM will will guide the sponsor circle through that process. Um, A part of this process is uh, reviewing the application um, and going through Vetting process and certification process for the sponsor circles, and so EMM will lead that process for you know for those that are on the call today. And so, in as part of that process, EMM can provide additional questions or suggested supports. Um, for sponsor circles to make sure that they are really ready um, to receive a family, and then once a, a family is matched with a sponsor circle, EMM will continue um, to be that partner that's walking um, and supporting, walking alongside and supporting a sponsor circle um, as they are uh, welcoming the new family and navigating some of these processes um, for those those initial uh, ninety days. Um, At least 90 days. We also wanted to note that a support for certified sponsor circles um, for initial housing is Airbnb. Um, And so for sponsor circles that are certified, EMM can provide more information about that and how to access those credits. Um, But basically, for at least the first couple of weeks, um, possibly a bit longer, um, there are uh, support, there's initial housing supports that can be available because that can be, um, you know, that can be um, a question that sponsor circles might have, especially for that initial time when families are are entering communities. Um, So I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll end by saying um, Again, the first step is to fill out that interest form um, and then just start your application. Start that welcome plan. Um, start gathering that information, getting it together um, to actually submit the application. Um, it's, it's those requirements that I just talked about. For funding, um, we require 60% of those total funds raised by the time that the application is submitted. So it doesn't have to be that full amount. Um, uh, and so the sponsor circles have some. Time to continue fundraising even after that initial application so i'll leave it there and happy to you know happy to answer other questions
4: thanks beth um, i was talking yesterday with um some folks in the episcopal diocese of massachusetts about another matter but related to welcoming our new neighbors and we were talking through all the steps and things that they were going to need to consider And I said to them, you know, we don't want to pull the wool over anybody's eyes like this is hard work. But then I said, and Jesus calls us to hard things. (laughs) Like We're not called to do easy things. And the other part of this is that um, I think as Beth said earlier, this is also such deeply rewarding work. Um, it's transformative, not only for those that we welcome, but for ourselves as well. So I wanted to ask you, Brian, if you can share some stories from your experience about that, like the power and the the amazing work that this really is.
0: Sure, it, it is. You're right. It is hard work, but it, it is. You said it exactly. God has called us to be uh, doing some difficult things, but but important. Um it just you were talking about that, and it reminded me in the mid-90s, my wife and I were pastors of a really small church in southern Manitoba and a lot of people had left recently and they were wondering, well, we're going to close our doors soon. And the call came from Mennonite Central Committee, who I work for now, saying we're looking for people to sponsor refugees from the former Yugoslavia. And we brought to that to our community and they said, Yeah, we can do this. And it gave them a new lease on life. And and I think it is something that, that can happen uh, for churches. Um, there, there are so many stories I, over the past 15 years that I've worked at this that, that, um, that where this was difficult, but really transforming. And, and I wanna tell you a little story about uh, a town uh, south of here, about an hour and a half drive south of here called Altona, Altona, Manitoba. It's probably about a maybe 10, 15 minute drive from the North Dakota border. Altona is a town of about 4,500 people. It's a town that has, I don't know, maybe five or six churches, and many of them are various shades of Mennonite, and so they connect with us. Um, And they don't always get along about everything. But one thing that has brought this community together is sponsoring refugees. in September I think in September of 2015 I think you'll all remember the, the image of, of uh, a child Alan Kearney who who died while his family was trying to reach uh, reach uh, Europe to get away from uh, the, the war in Syria and that touched so many people around the world and it touched the people in Altona and at the end of September they called me and they said we're going to have a prayer meeting in our community to talk about whether we will sponsor refugees. And I knew the question wasn't if, but how many. But I went down there, I drove down to Altona at the, on a Sunday evening and had this meeting. And they'd set up a, a gathering outside of one of the churches uh, on a warm fall evening. And they had people coming forward and talking about how this had changed their church. For at least 10 years before that, they'd been bringing people from all over the world who had lost their homes. Uh, some had left places like uh, Sudan or Somalia or Venezuela or Burundi and they these people came forward and talked about what it meant to be welcomed by these people. I think the most meaningful for me was was a guy named omar who who had fled from Darfur, who came up to me after the meeting and said, um, you know he was he was you know dressed like somebody from Altona he was wearing a jeans and a plaid shirt and a cap from a local seed company so it looked like he really fit in there and had made this his home and he said my name is Omar i'm from Sudan i came from Sudan to Egypt and now i'm in Altona and then he paused and he said and my next stop is the cemetery here because i'm not leaving and then he laughed heartily but made me make it clear that he wasn't going to the cemetery anytime soon that story, that little encounter told me how really, really important it was. He had been denied a home in the place that he was born and where he grew up. And he had found it here. And he didn't find it because the people now, Tona helped him find a house and a job and uh, showed him how to, where to buy groceries and things like that. They welcomed him and made this a part of his community. And I really like the idea of Omar Someday, not now, but someday being buried in Eltona because some of my relatives are buried there. And I like the idea of them being together and his relatives, his ancestors saying, this is our home. That's what we can do with this program. Provide more than a house, more than food and shelter, provide a home. That
4: was powerful. I got chills multiple times. Thanks, Brian. Um, so I'm going to start with some questions from the audience. My colleague Kendall is doing some magic behind the scenes um, reviewing questions from all of you. So please keep submitting those through the Q&A pane. And the first question. I think this could truly go to, to any of the panelists. So feel free, folks, to, to unmute and, and answer. Um, Sponsor circles, at this stage of our life, this would be a lot for us to organize on our own. Is there a site or a clearinghouse where we can try to connect with sponsor circles formed by others in our area?
3: Yeah, I can take that. And then, Beth, if you have any other comments, please feel free to add them. So I would definitely say fill out the initial interest form because we're collecting data from all sorts of different churches. And we're compiling that data in a spreadsheet. And so if you let us know in that form, listen, we don't think we have the bandwidth to do this on our own, but maybe with another congregation, we can do this. So we have, we're in conversation right now with um, three different congregations that are merging together under one deanery and are doing this important work. So certainly reach out to other local churches, reach out to us. I, you know, there's, who knows the way the spirit is moving and, and connecting us to do, to do this work. So please reach out with that initial interest form. And then we'll we'll go from there. Beth, did you want to add anything?
1: I'll add as well. So I mentioned the um the application support sessions and there's the link in the chat for those. um, IRIS is starting to, as they're doing those sessions, collect the information, the contact information of people attending those sessions and um, as people are comfortable with, can share that information around so that if there are people that are attending those sessions from nearby communities, they similarly can connect um, about what they're doing. So Yes, on in a couple of different ways, there are some opportunities to to potentially find others that might be doing this work um already or others in you know in your community or near your community um, that are also thinking about this process and and taking those steps to to develop a, a sponsor circle.
4: Thanks to you both. So this next question, I think, um, Maybe i'll toss it to you, Beth, initially, and then Chris you can talk about some of the additional requirements that emm is discerning um, to provide the best possible welcome that we can. Um, So to you, Beth, is there a financial outlay required for faith communities who sponsor a family? How does a circle know for how many family members to prepare a fundraise?
1: Thank you for that. So yes, um, there is the um, $2,275 commitment by the sponsor circle, and that is per individual family member. So in terms of how a sponsor circle determines how many that would be, that is up to the sponsor circle. Um, In some cases, a sponsor circle might actually know a particular Afghan family that is at a safe haven. Um, In many cases, sponsor circles don't. So in those cases where they don't have a named case, then they would, as as a group, um, consider what size family are they able to support? Um, And so that might be anywhere from a small family to three people um, up to very large families. We're seeing some sponsor circles saying they can support eight family members, for example. Um, But a lot of that really depends on your community, um, the the supports available, cost of living, things like that. So those are different things to take into consideration. Um, I would say average family size is about four to five um, individuals. Um, But again, that is really up to the sponsor circle. And then as the welcome plan is vetted, that's one consideration of has the sponsor circle been able to raise funds that are reflective of that family size that they are able to support? And also, does the welcome plan align with that family size? So have they thought about Um, What supports are needed, if it's a large family, if it's a small family, um, what might be particular to to that family size.
4: Thanks so much. All right. Next question. Do circles have to provide housing? We've been working with CWS, one of the national resettlement agencies. Um, but have been frustrated by the difficulty funding a house which they require. And that just to kind of um, provide greater context for everyone. And then panelists would love for your responses. Housing is very difficult to find um, across the country. So that experience that this um, this questioner is having is not unique. Um, so I wanted to let you know, we hear you because this is something that's felt by by others as well. But yeah, we welcome um, some thoughts about one, do circles have to provide housing, and two, creative ways that that can be provided?
3: Beth, do you wanna take a stab at it first and then I'll fill in from there?
1: Sure. Um, So the short answer is that, yes, the part identifying housing is part of the sponsor circles role. And to also echo and acknowledge that that is a key challenge, Um, and this is something that is felt across the U.S. right now, I think generally, in terms of finding uh, affordable housing, um, but also for resettlement agencies as well. Um, And so this is something that, um, there's two parts to this. One is finding that initial housing. So when a family first arrives into a community, in some cases, the sponsor circle um, has found long-term housing from that initial arrival. In other cases, sponsor circles have found um, some initial temporary housing that um, can support a a family until they are able to identify long-term housing. And again, for that initial couple of weeks, possibly a bit longer, the Airbnb resource is a key resource that can help uh, sponsor circles um, access initial housing as they are identifying long term housing, or in some cases, um, having the family there so that they can sign um, a a lease uh, once they are in the community that can sometimes help that process. but Chris or, or, or Brian, yeah, I'll, I'll offer you if you have anything to add on that.
3: The only other piece I'll add is the real, one of the benefits of the, the process is that folks are Afghan families are applying for their employment authorization documents on base, their EADs. So the plan, the hope is that those EADs will arrive to their final home soon after they sign a lease and everything so that they'll be able to start earning money towards paying for that rent so it's not sponsor circle isn't committing to a year-long lease um, it's sort of doing that initial work of trying to sort of get them set up and get them settled and then slowly but surely transitioning them to um, to self-sufficiency
0: i'll just briefly say that everywhere i've worked globally in, on this issue housing comes up at the top and so this is not unique to you that may not be a comfort but um it's it it ha- everywhere it takes a lot of creativity and that's that's the, the short answer i think
1: I might just add one thing to that you know what we've seen with some sponsor circles and you know this isn't this doesn't happen everywhere um but because sponsor circles are a group of five individuals that have personal networks and, and contacts um also within this moment there is a, an outpouring in many ways of people wanting to support Afghan newcomers into communities, and so in, in some ways, sponsor circles may be able to leverage those personal networks um, to find someone that has um, that has an apartment or um, you know has has an extra unit um, that they're willing to. Um, to provide to the family. In some cases might be willing to donate um, or donate a few months. In other cases, even providing that affordable housing um, for a year um, to really provide at you know affordable so where the it wouldn't be donated completely but to, to offer it at um, an affordable uh, rent, so that the family can really get on their feet um, in that first year. Um, th- through this process so yeah.
4: Thank you all for that, so the next question, I think it might be a, a Chris and a Beth question or a Beth and then a Chris question it's about kind of all the work that goes into being a sponsor circle. The person asks, I know there's a lot of paperwork to be done to get health care to get food stamps question mark, to get all the government paperwork. Is there help with this process especially providing a list of what we would need to do and which agency we would need to be in touch with the various with for the various needs?
3: Do you want to tackle it first Beth and then I'm, I'll come on the second.
1: Sure, um, and there there are, and so part of this is some of these processes. Um, have, th- this process often differs from one state to another. Um, and so we, the, the program can provide some basic information about those processes in general, um, about some contacts in states that can help sponsor circles start that process. The other key part of this is EMM. And so as the sponsor circle umbrella, as sponsor circles have questions about this, um, then EMM can provide some additional information. Information that might be specific to that state um, in collaboration with other sponsor circle umbrellas that are also gathering this information. Um, you know, our, again, our technical assistance provider um, also has some information. So there we, are, we are collating this information and we're sharing it out with sponsor circles um, to, to provide that support.
3: Absolutely, and I'll just echo what Beth said a lot of it is local research figuring out what the benefits are in your local state. Um, Each state generally has a refugee service provider that can sort of be another resource, but if you come under each sponsor circle has what's called an umbrella which EMM will be serving as an umbrella. So that means all of the sponsor circles, who are with us right it's my responsibility to make sure you have what you need so for some reason, there is you know, a breakdown in communication, you can't figure out, well, are they eligible for this benefit or that benefit? Please reach out to me and we can certainly figure it out. Um, but as Beth said, it, it is a lot of state specific. And so it's helpful if, if you do some research on your own to figure out what, what's available in your state.
4: All right, the next question I'm gonna to toss to you, Chris. Um, if an Episcopal church is in an area that has a refugee resettlement, local local office, which is in strong need of congregations to sponsor Afghans or other refugees who are rapidly arriving. How should that congregation think about whether to sponsor an Afghan family through the resettlement agency locally or start their own sponsor circle?
3: It's a great question. So we certainly, there's so much work to be done that we, we want to, it's all hands on deck. And so if If there's an opportunity to work locally with that resettlement office and that feels like the best fit for you, by all means. If you have done this work before and you have a lot of experience and you're like, you know what, we can do this. Um, Maybe the neighbor to neighbor option is, is your best bet. And if you're sort of on the fence, you're like, I don't know, I think we can do this neighbor to neighbor thing. I think we can be a sponsor circle, but I'm a little scared fill out that initial interest form, I'm happy to have a conversation and talk through the logistics on, on the ground and figure out, oh, we, we you have a local you know, EMM affiliate and they're ready and willing to do that work. I think it makes sense to go that way. Or, you know what, based on what you've told me, I think you're a neighbor neighbor congregation. Um, it, it just does depend on the case-by-case basis and the resources on the ground. So Feel free to reach out and we'll make sure that my email is also in the chat so you can reach out with direct questions as well
4: that's excellent thanks chris so i'm going to toss the next one to you brian because i think that you've likely had a lot of experience with this in the canadian context with different mennonite congregations so the question is about um, the person calls it the faith barrier like what what is the experience like and what does it mean for a christian faith community to sponsor a refugee of a different faith, for example, if they're Muslim. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience around that and um, being respectful and welcoming um, of those who have religious or other differences?
0: I know that's a really good question that, that we deal with. Um, first, I think we've seen in terms of partnerships, we I've seen some beautiful partnerships between uh, churches and mosques and synagogues and it, that just makes my heart sing. I mean, I love to see that how we can work together in in such relations like that. But yeah, and we, I work with a lot of conservative Christians who who you know are not sure about this this interaction. Um, I think that one of the things that you will find is that people outside of the United States and Canada are a lot more interested in talking about religion than we are. That's often a taboo to- topic, and I think having an open honest conversation about why we're doing it. I mean, we do this because of our faith, but we need to also be very careful because we are in a position of power and um, people may feel like we're trying to, um, you know, get them to, they're, they're trying to figure out what the right answer is, you know, to make sure that, the, that our relationship continues because they rely on us a lot. So making sure that we have really open, honest conversations about our faith, what's important to us um, is, is fine, but uh, making sure that we don't, um, don't work at uh, making sure uh, or we're aware of that power indifference, uh, imbalance is, is really an important thing to do. But um, I, I've seen some really great conversations uh, uh, spurred from this experience, both people in Canada already uh, and in fact, globally, where else, else I work, but also uh, in, in the sponsorship. So I, I think it's 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 an important. It's don't don't leave it um, off, but also be very careful about the conversation. I hope that helps. I don't know if others have experience in that and and want to advise.
4: I'll just say thank you for that response because I think that that is. Um... It's an important thing to be cognizant of that when, if you are acting as a sponsor, either through sponsor circles or, you know, working with a local resettlement office as a co-sponsor, because of that power differential, um, newcomers can misunderstand the nature of the relationship. You know, volunteerism is very common in the culture of America and culture of Canada, um, but it's not, volunteerism is not common around the world. So people can often wonder, why are they, you know, why are you helping me? Um, So making it clear that we do this because of our faith, but we are not trying to bring others into our faith, like that's what's critical. We're trying to be good neighbors and good neighbors don't impose or force, you know, beliefs upon others. Um, So I'm grateful for that response, Brian. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, I I was in a visa office in Toronto, Canadian visa office and the Canadian visa officer was saying, I don't know exactly how to explain this program because it just doesn't make sense. Why would people do this? And yet, it is such an important part of who we are, I think, and so that's it.
4: Yeah, and this is not part of the questions, but um, Beth, there's some beautiful language in the sponsor circle training materials around why people might feel called and um, inspired to this work. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to like, what are the different reasons you're hearing that people want to step up to be sponsor circles?
1: It is really diverse. And so Brian has spoke um, quite a bit to some of those that uh, feeling a calling uh, to this work, feeling a calling to step up um, in times of crisis. Um, And that's a large part of it. We've also seen from different groups, different reasons of why they might feel connections with this population, with this work. Um, So for example, we're seeing from some groups That they may have gone through um, also an immigration experience or a refugee experience themselves, and really now want to show that welcome that was so important for them when their families, when they first arrived. Um, Many, you know, many might now be adults and they came as children. And so, really seeing that as part of their experience of one of their early experiences, um, perhaps in life, but then also in this country. Um, And so, uh, yeah, you know, I think there's there's a, a, an array of reasons of why different groups might uh, want to respond in this moment, um, and again, you know, just responding in some way and taking that first step um, is 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 part of that process.
4: Thanks for that. Um, this next question makes me excited um, for those on the call who might be Episcopalian. I come from the Diocese of Lexington in Kentucky, where the majority of our congregations are very small and they're in very rural communities. So I have a heart for for small faith communities, Um, the involvement of the small faith communities in this work matters a lot to me. Um, So the question, I'll toss it to Chris, but then would also love to hear from you, Brian, because I'm sure you've experienced this in Canada. Um, Have small churches joined together to sponsor a family? How can a small faith community In an area where there are currently no refugees planning to resettle help in this effort?
3: Absolutely. So just to make sure that small churches in an area where there isn't existing resettlement?
4: Uh, Yeah, that's how I understand it, that there's no existing resettlement there. Yeah.
3: So that gets a little complicated. Um, So certainly small churches can band together, um, and that's a wonderful opportunity. There are some services that are offered uniquely to folks, even if, if so if families, if an Afghan family chooses to opt out of traditional relocation services and opt into our program, there are still some wraparound services that can be provided. And so we do encourage that there be, that you have some proximity to a, to a refugee resettlement office, because if you're in a a service desert, as we call it, it's it's gonna be really hard to get those services. Um, and so in those cases, if you're, if there's not a refugee resettlement office within a hundred miles, let's just say, um, we should probably have a conversation about the viability because ultimately that's gonna put a huge financial burden onto your sponsor circle. Um, that's how I understand it, but Beth may have a different understanding, so I welcome her feedback. Yeah.
1: Yeah thanks um, and one point as well. I mean, for this for this webinar, this is EMM, and so really thinking about those faith communities. The members of a sponsor circle do not need to be part of that faith community. Um, so also, if a, if you know members of a church are coming together, it's a small group, it's a small church. They might also have others within the community that want to respond in this moment. Um, so I just wanted to say, from a sponsor circle program perspective, um, this does not need to be. Exclusively faith communities, and so we're finding people respond um, that are from multiple faiths, and also from outside of that, you know, that faith, uh, that faith community as a whole. Um, so that's that's one point. Um, the other point to yeah to services available that will be a conversation and part of that research for the welcome plan. Um, it may it is potentially more difficult um, to access um, supports or resources for Afghans as part of that greater refugee population. But oftentimes those resources, those longer term um, assistance for refugees are statewide, so sometimes the challenge can be accessing those those benefits or those services if there is not um, a specific office focusing on refugees um, more directly. Um, But again, this can be a conversation with EMM, so I would encourage, again, people that are interested. to fill out that interest form on uh, on the neighbor-to-neighbor neighbor website um, because in, it also might be state-to-state state or a particular location, and there's going to be different factors to take into consideration for that.
0: I'll just make a quick note on Pris's comment. I think that, yeah, I think you need to make sure, and, and the town of Altona, which I talked about, uh, they have services close by, and so, but this is a tremendous community-building opportunity. Um, beyond providing this, doing a really important thing, it can build your community as well. And that I've seen that so often.
4: Well, and we know of course that Canada is much more sparsely populated than the United States. And we know that this, is, this has worked in Canada. So um, this is all just a great conversation and I'm really excited to think about. Um, the next question, just give me a moment to read it. This is a, this is a good like pragmatic question and Um, Maybe Chris first and then Beth, if you want to fill in additional additional details. So what do the refugee families do for long-term income? How do they begin to pay rent? What happens after the 90 days if the family can't afford the rent, but a six or 12 month lease has been signed?
3: So many good questions. So um, as I mentioned earlier, the families are applying for their employment authorization documents, their EAD, on base. And so that should be arriving to their final destination soon after they arrive. Um, that will permit them to work legally in the United States. And so we encourage the sponsored circles to work with the families to help them find local employment. There are some companies that are specifically you know, looking out for Afghan arrivals. Um, so you know, all sorts of opportunities. And we recognize that some some folks are coming from Afghanistan with their PhDs, you know, and so it's going to be challenging for them to start maybe working in an Amazon warehouse, for example. But it is important that they, that they start working to begin getting some income because as you all know, rents are insanely expensive um, and the time is limited for which a sponsor circle is, you know, surrounding them completely. Um, EMM is looking at the possibility of ex- extending beyond the 90 days um, so that the, the care is is more than that specific time period. Um, and certainly, you know, we hope that you'll, con- you'll continue a partnership, a relationship with them, um, certainly encouraging self-sufficiency, but at the same time, you know, saying like, hey, you're really stuck this month. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's, let's, right? Like this is not about um, service provider up here and service recipient. This is about building a community of kinship um, and, and seeing them as our equals. And so I think if there are all sorts of ways to get creative and, you know, I guess, I mean, obviously as an occupational hazard. I believe in prayer and the power of prayer, but this isn't our, just our work, right? We're doing this work on behalf of God. And so asking God for constant help and support and on those times when we're like, I don't know how we're going to make rent, you know, keep praying, keep looking out for those opportunities, because if God calls us, God will find a way.
1: I'll add briefly, there are also beyond the 90 days, there are um, assistance that that Afghan newcomers are eligible for. So these are often through the state. um, And this is what Chris was referring to to earlier. Sometimes these are facilitated through refugee focused organizations or resettlement agencies, um, but they are often administered by the state. So refugee cash assistance, refugee medical assistance, typically extend beyond those 90 days. um, especially, um, you know, dependent on a family's income levels. So there's a couple of things that are happening, really working with the family to ensure employment as soon as possible, Um, accessing those community resources, those public benefits that, that families are eligible for. And then the last thing I'll say is this is 90 days. It's not that much time. And so it's really focused on connecting families with resources, with the community, in general, um, making sure that they are enrolling for things that they are eligible for, and connecting with some of those community resources, um, community uh, organizations, and things like that, and that will certainly extend beyond those 90 days.
4: Thanks, Beth. I just looked at the clock. I was enjoying the conversation so much, I didn't realize we were already over time by a minute. So, one final question: that's short and sweet, straight to Chris. How can we come under EMM sponsor circle umbrella?
3: So, please fill out that initial interest form. Um, we'll begin a conversation. Um, and Beth, I do believe there is a place on the application, right, to select to make us. Um, if you want to, cert- if you want EMM to be your sponsor, or excuse me, your umbrella. Um, to go ahead and do that. Um, And I will say, I saw this question in the Q&A, we are open to non-episcopalians, right? We are ecumenical in our connections. Um, So if you're a a non-episcopal umbrella, please feel free to to reach out to us about that possibility.
4: Thanks, Chris. I'm gonna quickly lead us through some closing slides. Thank you everyone for sticking around for this and for your forgiveness of me being a little bit behind. Um, So just to finish our time together today, wanna commend to you some next action steps you could take. One is visiting EMM's website. You've heard it referenced a few times. The direct page to go to is episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash neighbor to neighbor to submit that interest form. And, or if you feel kind of ready ready to step in, you can visit the Sponsor Circle's website to start your application today, where you can select EMM as your Sponsor Circle umbrella also we welcome your support for our ongoing work to welcome our newest neighbors you can donate to support emm's work um, directly with our afghan allies um, fund at bit.ly support allies if you visit our website you'll also see that convenient donate button on the website and i'm going to turn it over to our friend brian to offer the closing prayer brian over to you
0: thank you very much let us pray Thank you, oh God, for our homes, for the walls and the roof and the floor, the windows and the door. Thank you for food. Thank you for clean water. Thank you for clothing. Thank you for the opportunity to learn and grow in a peaceful and dignified dignified, um, place. We hold before you, oh God, those who have lost their homes those who have lost their communities, those who have lost their families. We grieve with them and long to reach out to bring the healing and hope. We pray for peace, O oh God. We pray for those who bring war, that they will change their ways and beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. We pray for meaningful reconciliation in broken communities where hate is sown in the soil of prejudice and watered by our indifference. And now may we go proclaiming the peace of God, which passes understanding. May we go caring for the sojourner in our land and in our world. In the name of Jesus, amen.
4: Amen. Thank you, Brian. And just to conclude our time together, I wanted to remind you of our website, episcopalmigrationministries.org. You can find us on social media at EMM Refugees. And as Kendall mentioned at the top of today's presentation, the video of today's webinar will be posted on our Vimeo channel, vimeo.com slash Refugees. So panelists, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was wonderful. I got lost in the conversation. I was having such a good time. Um, and thank you all for listening
2: today. We hope to hear from you soon. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for joining us for today's episode. For more resources and opportunities to get involved with Episcopal Migration Ministries, be sure to visit episcopalmigrationministries.org. You may also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. To stay up to date on all new episodes, make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud. This critical work in ministry would not be possible without listeners and supporters like you. To continue to support the Ministry of Welcome, you can make a gift to Episcopal Migration Ministries. With your help, we will continue to welcome and resettle refugees and communities across the country, offer support to asylum seekers, and create beloved community for all of our immigrant siblings. Visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give or text Hometown to 91999. Our theme song composer is Abraham Owenda Ikondo. Find his music at abrahamawenda.bandcamp.com. Until next time, peace be with you and with all those you consider home.